Our scripture reading is Luke chapter 6. Luke 6 will read verses 12 through 26, but our focus will be on verses 20 through 26. That's found on page 1096 in your pew Bibles. Before we read, let's pray. Father in heaven, speak to us, we pray, at this very moment. As we read these words, we hear your voice declaring authoritatively and thunderously from a pulpit that represents your very presence, your word coming to your people. We pray that then we would be attentive to it that we would listen and not only be examined in our sin, but as well refreshed, refreshed by the nourishing words of life. We are the people of the way, the people of the book, the people of your word. This is better to us than bread. In fact, this is more necessary to us than what would heal or sustain our physical bodies is the word of life, Jesus Christ, the bread of life. As we read his teaching here, let it strike us. Let us be molded according to your will, we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples, and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who is called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Thus ends the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us today. People of God, what do the Beatitudes, or these blessings and woes, what do they mean to us today? As we hear these words, we don't necessarily connect to all of what is said. Are, are we the poor? 
Are we the, the persecuted? Are we the hungry? Perhaps we could, we could see where the, the mourning, where those who grieve at times, but how do we relate to these things? Do they have a, 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 a message for us today? Or is this only for this multitude, this crowd that Jesus was preaching to, a crowd of, of all over the region, a crowd of mixed with those who had unclean spirits, those who needed healing, those who were poor, those who it would seem as if Jesus is addressing specifically, but, but what about the church? What about all God's people? What does Jesus' words mean to us? Well, let me tell a story and see if we can, can find depicted in this man of this story a referent of the Beatitudes of who Jesus is talking about. A man sat on the floor of his house, thinking, weeping, praying to God for help, because he was beat down by his weaknesses. He was afraid and full of doubt about his life, about his job, about his vocation. This trial had brought even him into doubting his salvation. He wanted to be strong, but he didn't feel that way. In fact, he felt burdened. He felt remorse because he wanted to have a vibrant faith. He wanted to walk with God, but in this trial and in the trials that he bore, it didn't feel that he was strong in the faith. It felt that he, like he was in fact quite weak. He knew God had blessed him. He knew God had answered prayers. He could even look in his past, in his past and see the prayers that God had answered directly giving him at times exactly what he asked for. He knew the faithfulness of God, but in his trials, he was afraid, he doubted. He yearned for the desire to draw near to God, but he felt like he had a dual mind. He wanted to be a disciple of God, but battling doubts and weaknesses that scared him. Perhaps we can relate to this man. This man, perhaps we could call him quite poor quite oppressed. And he read these words, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. What this man likely would realize, what we would realize, is that being a disciple of God was not being strong enough to not need or feel the need for the Savior. What's being strong for God is humble enough to call upon him. Humble enough to recognize that without being poor, without being despicable in your own sight for God, is there salvation. Without that battle where you sit on the floor of your house because a chair isn't even good enough, and you sit there and you're in great pain and great fear, and what is, what is it over? It's the desire that your faith would be real and true and triumph. Without that desire, is there a true faith? Without that battle and that yearning, do we see the blessings of the Beatitudes? Well, no, we don't. And in this story and what we're saying, we see how applicable these words still are. You see, what Jesus is, is saying to these poor 
these hungry, these wretched. He's, he's addressing those very people. We don't need to just divorce that and over-spiritualize the text as if he's not really talking about those who were, in this world, poor. Those who were actually hungry. No, he's talking to them. He's clearly addressing them, but he means so much more than that alone. He's describing what it means to follow him. He's describing what it means to be part of the kingdom in the world right now. What does it mean to be in the kingdom in this world? And he describes his followers, and he describes who those would be blessed. How to be a disciple of Jesus. To experience grief and trials and difficulties, but to rejoice on account of the Son of Man. If you want the blessings and woes of Jesus' words to matter to you, if you want these words to characterize your life, then we need to know what they mean and what do they mean. Jesus' message, in essence, is it's, it's better to be the poor losers of the world in Christ than it is to be the rich winner in the world. Better to be poor, a poor loser in Christ than a rich winner in the world. Now, we would have to attach those scarecrows to the terms poor, loser, winner. What does that mean? And see, what Jesus does here is he overturns the perception. He overturns what we think. And what we see is that to be a loser for Christ is not to lose ultimately. To be a winner of the world doesn't bring ultimate victory. And that's the two sides of the the blessings and the woes. And Jesus, setting himself up as this prophetic teacher, is explaining through wisdom words, blessed are and woe to. Understand my message, understand my teaching is what Jesus is saying. And be a loser on account of me and see what happens. Or if you are losers and in my kingdom, see if you truly are a loser or a winner. So we look at that. The blessed are, the beatitudes, these blessings. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean when Jesus says, blessed are, what is he saying? That term blessed could be translated as happy. Happy are... Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the poor. Now, what do we mean, though, by happy? You see, we tend to attach to happy that idea of the the fleeting feeling that comes from circumstances. Really, what we attach to happy is that thing that we can't control, that just something happens, and we feel really happy. Our, our Our whole being senses something great, but it's usually quite, quite fleeting, quite quick. That's generally what we sort of mean by happy. I'm really happy today. Sort of... I don't know, flippant, sort of. It's, it's there, but it could go. That's not what we're trying to mean here when we say happy. We're not meaning that it's just that feeling we associate with happiness. What does it mean in blessed are? Well, Jesus is saying, in a sense, it's, it's those possessing the favor of God. Happy are those who, who possess the favor of God, understanding that you are one who is favored by God. It also means it could be equivalent to having God's kingdom within one's heart. Or we could put it this way, it means being satisfied in God, which affects the whole being. But I like the term saying happy are because that does show how much we want that. We all want to be happy. We all yearn for and desire that happiness in something that that isn't a fleeting circumstance, that doesn't just puff away. 
but it's, it's true and secure. That's where we want our happiness to be found. And so we'll, we can understand it as happy are as long as we realize that that doesn't necessarily mean in these trials and circumstances you always have an easy feeling of happiness. It's just easy. It's there. Don't even have to work for it. You're just happy. Well, that's, that's not what it is. But truly, Jesus is saying, happy are those who are poor. Happy are those who are hungry and weeping and reviled and hated. Now, we are used to the Beatitudes, but that doesn't make sense in the world. That makes no sense whatsoever. Happy are you who are oppressed. You see, what the world would hear is happy are those who have no reason to be. Happy are the losers, right? Thinking from the world's perspective, you've lost when you're hungry and have no food. You've lost when you're poor. You're in the greatest state of defeat, aren't you, when you're grieving and lamenting? You know, it, it should draw us up and say, wait, Jesus, what are you meaning? What are you saying? Because that's the direct opposite of what we'd expect. To unpack the meaning of these things, we need to realize that he is truly addressing these states and these conditions. You are hungry. You are poor. Or like that man in the, in the beginning, that story we read, you feel wretched. You really are in that condition. It's not something made up. This is you where you're at. It describes you accurately. These poor and hungry and oppressed. So we need to see first, he's addressing those who face this. Second, these conditions won't be elevated to a true blessing without understanding that it's not the condition of poor, hungry, weeping, or being hated that produces the blessing. It's not that condition alone. Just being poor or hungry doesn't mean automatically that you're blessed. And so third, what's the key piece then in, in understanding it? It's that the blessings of these Beatitudes are given in a kingdom context where the blessing is contingent on whether these are in Christ or not. And that's what changes everything. If you're poor... That doesn't mean you're blessed. But if you're poor in Christ, it definitely means you are. If you're just famished and hungry, that doesn't mean you're blessed. But if you're in Christ, and you're poor, and you're wretched, and you're hungry and famished, then you are blessed. And see, there's the difference. To evaluate everything that's going on in your life in, in accordance to where you stand in the kingdom of God. Are you in it or are you not? Because that changes the blessings or that changes the blessings into a woe. And we'll see that in our second point. But first, with these blessings themselves, they're dependent, they're contingent on are you for Christ? Are you there with him? Are you in the kingdom of God? Otherwise, just being poor is bad and being hungry is bad and you're just a double loser. Really? In this life, you didn't have it, but you don't have Christ, so you've lost twice. You see, that's what happens. Jesus addresses this crowd. 
So he's addressing those who are truly poor and hungry, but there is that spiritual dimension that we take as well. And why do we take that? Everything needs to be grounded in God's word. Why am I saying that? It isn't just Jesus saying it's the poor who are blessed, it's the, happy, it's, it's the, the famished who are blessed. That's what the text says, isn't it? It does. But look what also he's saying. We can see that there's this spiritual dimension that I'm talking about in the fact that he's speaking in this kingdom context. Everything Jesus does is a kingdom context, which automatically brings in that idea of a spiritual element, of the spiritual suffering, of suffering for him. He's called his disciples. That is just what happened in the previous text. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. So there's that, but we also see in verse 23 the spiritual side of it, the fact that it is attached to Christ. It isn't just being poor that makes you blessed. Why? Look at verse 23. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. And he keeps referencing the prophets as well. The prophets who had suffered, and we are those who are blessed, who are aligned with them in their suffering. And why were the prophets of old blessed? It's because they were in the people of God. They were spiritually blessed. And so this is that idea where we see Jesus is addressing the downcast of the world, but there's the spiritual element that he's bringing them to. It's both and. And that's the way we need to see it. But, but why does that help us? Just like the man in the beginning of the story, you see these Beatitudes apply to him, though he may not be physically poor, and though he may not be physically hungry. He is truly characterized as the poor. Who are the poor? The downcast, the humble, who yearn for Christ. There it is. Because if you were just poor and didn't yearn for Christ, these Beatitudes don't apply to you. So there's got to be more to it. Yearning for him, being part of the kingdom. This verse and these verses obviously show that the blessings of the Beatitudes is conditioned on one's status in relationship to the king himself, without which you have no blessings there. That's why the prophets of old suffered at the hands of those they came to, and they did. The prophets, when you look at that bunch of people, those men, they were routinely afflicted, scourged, put to death, ignored, humble, hungry, famished, poor, and weeping. The prophets of old. And yet, in this context, Jesus' crowd, they, would, they wouldn't say the prophets were irrelevant. They would want to be aligned with them. And so Jesus is saying, you here, the crowd in front of me, you who face all these afflictions, blessed are you. And he opens with, blessed are you who are poor, for for yours is the kingdom of God. I want you to look at your, your Bibles here. Boys and girls as well, as you read God's word, it's important that you understand tenses. Maybe you're studying that in school. When these things will happen, there's a past tense that something happened already. There's a present tense it's happening currently. There's future it has yet to happen. So how are these Beatitudes arranged as we look at tenses? I'm actually going to skip the first blessing of poor. We'll go back to that, but I want us to see that what we have are present and future tenses in these other blessings. Look at them. Even adding that word now. So blessed are you who are hungry now. Okay, there's a present tense. It describes what you are in currently. This is your condition right now. Hunger. 
Then it says, for you shall be satisfied. Future. So what we see to these elements is a present tense and a future tense. And so what we then see is these blessings have an idea of a trial now, but a future that undoes it. A future that changes it. And we should very then, we should really see hungering now and weeping now is replaced. And though it may describe our current condition now, it won't always be that way because the future is different. The future changes. It won't be that way. Notice the reversal. Hunger leads to satisfaction. Weeping, and I love this contrast, weeping leads to laughter. Mourning leads to laughter. How amazing. Perhaps you're in that, and, and, and that's, this is the intent of the Beatitudes. You may be in a period where all you feel is lament and grief. Like all you're doing is crying. And yet what Jesus is saying is you're happy now because you're blessed in the future. Your, your crying gives way to mirth. Your lament gives way to happiness and joy. You see that he's saying. So you have the, the present difficulty, but the future blessing. And now I want to look at the first beatitude. Now, why did I do it this way? So that we see there is a present blessing now as well. Notice, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. It's all present, all present tense. We could add it. Blessed, we could add these words to, to bring out the meaning. Blessed are the poor now, for yours is the kingdom of God now. In this way, what Jesus is saying is that for all of these blessings, there's a component of a present blessing as well. You see, though we await that, that glorious future blessing, we're not left alone to just deal with it now. This teaching, these truths that Jesus is presenting is meant to bring a blessing within your poor state or your hunger or grief or, hate, or being hated and afflicted. There's present blessings in that. Why? How can there be present blessings in that? Well, we have to see that the world's in two ages. And if we don't see that, we'll miss this, these blessings, these beatitudes. The world is in two ages. There's the age now and the one to come. And in the age now, there is the affliction mixed with the blessing. But again, we ask, how, how does that truth help me in my grief now, in my, in my hunger now? Well, let me just give you this illustration. What would happen if a millionaire signed over all his wealth to a homeless man on the street? He just gave it to him, signed it all over. Now, this homeless man has not yet taken all possession of it, but legally it's, it's handed over to him. This homeless man is now a millionaire. But his, his current condition, this age now for this homeless man, is one where for food he still has to dumpster dive, his clothes are still rags, he is still despised and scorned by everyone who sees and passes him by. But would that truth change the happiness and blessedness of this homeless man to know that, yes, right now he has this, but in his account he's worth millions? 
Wouldn't that change the way he dumpster dives? Wouldn't that change the way that he lives and walks down the, the street and everyone would see, that's a loser! But he's not. He's a winner. He has everything he needs. That's how the blessings of the future infiltrate into the present. Those who are in Christ are blessed and happy now because yours is the kingdom. Even in our assurance of pardon, if you remember back to that early in the service, we read from 1 John 3, the first three verses, where John was very clear to tell the people, you are children of God now, so we are. It's happened already. You may still have the tattered clothes of a homeless person. You may still, in this age, have to do that dumpster diving. You may still grieve. But the kingdom of God is yours. So happy are you. Blessed are you. And that's why when we're like the man in the beginning of the service, that illustration, when you're sitting on the floor broken, you can realize, but I'm broken over my desire for Christ. I'm broken over the fact that I'm not what I should be yet. So what does that mean? It means you're in the kingdom. And it means Jesus' voice through God's word tells you, blessed are you even right now in the midst of it. One commentator says and describes what Jesus is doing in these Beatitudes well. These Beatitudes are so at odds with conventional wisdom, they challenge that wisdom regarding political power and wealth. The world values the winners, but Jesus pronounces the losers, the marginal, as blessed because God is for them, not against them. His blessings and woes raise the questions, what is reality? Who is really well off? Who really is a good person? They challenge a perspective that thinks we are what we have accomplished or have accumulated. And that's exactly right. That's what Jesus is doing here He's literally taken the world's view of the fabric of reality and he's turned it upside down, he's torn it open, and, and now you're, you're left saying, and just like the illustration with the homeless man, what's going on here? Who really is the winner of the world? Because if this homeless man walking down the street has been given all of this and his condition doesn't actually match the reality, who's the winners of the world? And it's not what the world thinks, nor is it what we think. It's not an easy life that means you're a winner or a loser. It means when everything's going well, that doesn't mean that, oh, you've got it. And what it also means is when everything seems like it couldn't be going worse, that doesn't mean you're a loser. It doesn't mean you've lost. Changes the perception of reality. Poverty for Christ means riches. Hungering for him is satisfaction. And the list goes on in these blessings. And notice that it's all done for the sake of Christ. It's all suffering for him. And underwriting the the blessings and the woes, you'll see that there's likely even idea that these sufferings are upon the people and will be upon the people for this stance. Because, and how do we know that? Because Jesus talks about being blessed when reviled, persecuted, hated, and then he says, and such were the prophets. And why were the prophets reviled and persecuted and hated? Because they took a stand for Jesus. And so even this idea is that likely these conditions will come upon us to stand for Christ. 
likely we will face the, the poverty of the world for him. We may face hungering of the world to stand on the gospel and on his word. Likely we will be scorned and hated because we stand on his word. And he's saying, blessed are you for doing so. This reorients our lives, and it does so through wisdom and humility. So those are the blessings, but what about the woes? We see one half of, of this in blessings to come, but, but who, who's, who's the one despised? Woe to. Luke 6.24, but, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the prophets. To pronounce woe is to pronounce and interject the idea of grief. If blessings have the idea of joy and happiness, woe has the idea of grief and pain. It's a denouncement, and it's a pitying denouncement. It's a denouncement that pities even the misery. Woe to what is going to happen to you. Woe to the misery that you inherit. It's proclaiming a coming disaster, and it's to warn of a coming danger. Woe to the rich. Why woe to the rich? Well, again, we have to understand what this idea is, and and clearly in God's word we see you're not just in this state of woe for having wealth automatically. So who are these rich? These are the rich who've missed it. These are the rich who find their riches in this world. They're living according to half the map, to half the picture. They're living according to the one age instead of the two ages. And they look through everything through these these foggy glasses upon which they can only see that this is what matters, is this present age. And so throw yourself at that. And likely in the process, the idea here when Jesus is pronouncing these woes is that they've even gotten their riches through disobedience. Through, score, through uh, murdering, through any type of, of, of stealing, through all of these things, through even afflicting the people of God, these rich. But it really can come down to any of those who have not seen the whole picture, who only live according to this world. Woe to you. Notice he says they've received their consolation. That is, is quite scary, frankly. They have, notice these tenses again, it's happened already. They've got their reward. They've got their consolation. The idea of consolation is the idea of hope, of comfort, the need, the, what you live for, the encouragement and help. It's all wrapped up in that word consolation. They've received all their hope now. They've received all their comfort now. They've received all their encouragement now. You've got it. And it's as good as it's going to get. You see the difference here. There are two camps, blessed are or woe to. And we all fall into one of these. And if you are not in Christ, you're sitting here now, and you haven't placed a true faith in Christ, where do you stand? It isn't in the blessed category. You sit firmly in the woe to camp. And what you hear then from Jesus' words is this is as good as it's going to get for you. 
You can't expect anything better than this. Congratulations. That's it. Blessed are or woe to. And you better have that idea. You better, you better take what Christ is, is giving here. Follow him and seek his kingdom. And expect even in being uh, uh, impoverished and all the rest, you are blessed. But in the riches of the world, misery. Woe to you. You have everything now. How we illustrate this. It's, it's like when you go to a gift shop. You know, gift shops at tourist attractions always have the little knickknacks of what the attraction is. You go to the, you go to to see the Statue of Liberty. There's going to be gift shops that give to you little keychains of the Statue of Liberty. And what this is like, let's 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 reduce our whole world down to the idea that we're all in this gift shop, and we are desiring to go to the destination. We're desiring to go to the Statue of Liberty. That's what we want. There's the destination. We can go. We can go up to the top. We can see the views. I actually don't know if you can do that anymore there, but irrelevant. You go there. This is our desire. There's the goal. Now, in this gift shop, there are two boys. And they each have a dollar. And they each desire the riches of the gift shop, the riches of the world. Why not? This is where they're at now. They want to get something from the gift shop. And the one, this spoiled brat of a, of a child, sees that the thing he wants takes two dollars, and so he goes and he steals from the other boy. He takes his dollar away. And he buys it and he gets his little Statue of Liberty. It's his little keychain. That's great. He's got it. He's rich in this gift shop. And this, this little boy's poor. He has nothing else. He can't get it. He can't get the riches of the world. He can't get the blessings now. He's impoverished now. But guess what? The ferry taking you to the Statue of Liberty is on its way. And because of the actions of that rich, spoiled boy, he's detained. He's kept in the gift shop. So as good as it ever was going to get was his little keychain. It's as if you could stoop down and comfort as we observe what's happened in this gift shop in this, in this present age. You can stoop down to the boy and say, Son, listen to me. This is as good as it's ever going to get for him. And this is as bad as it's ever going to get for you. There's the two sides of it. These are Jesus' words. For me and my followers, this is as bad, this age is as bad as it gets. You're enduring it now. You're facing the poverty and, the, and you're facing the woes of this life now to know only blessing. And so this is the worst of it, brothers and sisters. This is the worst we face. But woe to those who this is it, this is the best as good as you're ever going to know it. When we take these blessings and these woes together, we get the full picture. The Beatitudes helped us to see the truth of the two ages, of what's good and what's bad, of what's blessing and what's curse. Even verse 26 describes so much of what the world wants. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. What comes, or how do you gain that position in the world for everyone to speak well of you? 
Well, there's an idea in, in wisdom literature that talks about when we follow God's word, we're well thought of, and that's true, but that's, that's not what we're describing here. The idea that Jesus is talking about here is, is woe to you when you've, when you've sold your soul to the world so that everyone thinks well of you. You've bought yourself a place at the table. Woe to you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Here Jesus likens all those who aren't in the kingdom to those who have mortgaged their future away. They've pulled an Esau. They've given away their birthright for a bowl of stew. Woe to them. Woe to you. Brothers and sisters, we think that it's a happy life and the blessings of life now is is when it's free of annoyance and when it's free of grief and when it's free of trial. When we could get all we we would wish and we could live an easy life, that's, that's the best, isn't it? That's what we live thinking. Why does Jesus allow us to suffer? It's to prepare us for cross-bearing. And Christ exposes the mistaken opinion here that those who are happy and lead an easy life are truly blessed. And rather, through this, he's preparing us to bear our cross and extending to us the comfort to know that, that even in the bitterness of the cross-bearing, there is a sweetness commingled into it, and that sweetness is that these things are being suffered on account of the Son of God. And we're living sacrifices, offering to him all of this pain. And we're living for him. With this truth in hand, everything in our life becomes a blessing or a woe, doesn't it? Anything that is turned to God, anything that's lived for him, is blessed are you for this. Any condition that we find ourselves in is one blessed when we bear it for God. With this truth in hand, we can say, Blessed are you who keep the faith when your loved ones don't. For you shall be given loved ones without end. Blessed are you who properly grieve in death, for you will know only life. Blessed are you who make your lamentation in faith, for you will be given nothing but smiles and happiness. Blessed are the anxious who bear it for Jesus, for you will know only easy joy. Blessed are you who bear back pain, bodily pain, physical pain. If you bear it in Christ, you know that you will never have it again and that you bore it for him. You turned what was a trial into a blessing to the Lord to magnify his name. Blessed are the fighters of temptation, for you will know only victory. Blessed are the cancer patients who live for Jesus, because you will be treatment-free. Blessed are the mistreated employees who bear it for Christ, because you will never be undervalued, ignored, or mistreated again. We can keep going. Blessings for everything in life when we bear it for Christ. Blessed are you, even in the pain. This thinking changes life better to be a poor loser in Christ than a rich winner in the world. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we see the truth of your words, and we see how they change and transform life. We do not pretend that it is easy, nor do you ask that of us. You don't ask that we would go through our trials as if they weren't, for they are. And yet we see the blessing, we see the two ages, we see this age versus the one to come. And we pray, Lord, that we would heed your call. We would understand that when we live this for you, the blessings not only are present in a way, but will be total. And Lord, we pray for those who sit under the the condemnation of woe. We pray, Lord, that these would see that there are two ages, there is one kingdom, there is one Lord, and that they would repent. That they would know that there is blessing in faith to you, but there's only woe and death apart from you. We thank you for encouraging us through this word, and we pray it would transform our life. We ask this in Jesus' name.